Now, wasn't that song powerful? I don't know if you remember, but it was two Easter's ago. We sat here in this room, and Albert sang that. And we watched incredible footage from the Niagara Falls area where water sloshing back and forth, troubled waters, and yet this powerful and sturdy bridge that sat over it all. In our series Anchored, we want to show each one of us, really, how do you, how do you find God to be your bridge when life is filled with trouble, turbulent waters seemingly all around you? You know, we all deal with stress and fear in different ways. In fact, uh, just a, a few weeks ago, someone bought the jumbo bag of jelly bellies to our house. And it turns out that like 24 hours later, someone ate them all. It wasn't my wife. And it wasn't my children. Uh, the innocent shall be protected. But let's just say that uh, if I keep this up, uh, my belly's gonna become the bridge <laughs> over troubled water. They, they don't call it jelly bellies for nothing, right? You see, whatever your, your tendency is to deal with stress, God wants us to anchor ourselves in something besides how we use food, how we use thoughts, how we use worry. So how do we do that? I think for many of us, when we're stressed or fearful, we'll talk about like getting in the right headspace or hey I need to get some fresh air to get my head on straight or get into the right frame of mind right we talk like that well the Bible calls that concept of getting yourself into the right headspace seeking God's face and seeking God's face is aligning your mind and your soul to truths about the world and truths about him I mean think of it again like that bridge if you were standing on an all-powerful, sturdy bridge, right? This thing is secure. Would it really matter how troubled, how turbulent the waters were down beneath? No. Whether those waves are six inches or six feet, you're like, because I'm on an all-powerful bridge, I don't need to be anxious about the troubled water. Well, the book of Psalms help, uh, helps us do exactly that. It helps us anchor ourselves in God as our bridge when things are getting challenging. In fact, here's what it says about seeking God's face as our bridge during turbulent times in Psalms 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? If God's my bridge, why am I anxious about troubled water? The Lord is the strength of my life. And that word strength literally is a stronghold. He's what I'm anchored to. He's what I'm holding on to during these challenging times. He's my strength. And when he's your strength, he goes on to say, though an army may encamp against me, my heart's not going to fear. Though the water or war may rise up against me, of this one thing I will be confident. I want you to find the confidence of what it means to anchor yourselves in God as your stronghold, as your bridge over troubled water. So there are three secrets to dealing with stress and worry that come out of this passage I want to share with you. The first one is knowing where to dwell. How to help your thoughts dwell in a good place. This is a secret to dealing with stress that David understood. David said, one thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire of his temple. Now he mentions the word temple here and he mentions the house of the Lord. Here's what's fascinating. There really is no temple at this point. It's David's son who will eventually build the temple. Now there is an Ark of the Covenant, think Raiders of the Lost Ark, that moves around from place to place, from Shiloh to this big mountaintop. But it seems like he's describing not a place, but a mental space. God, when I can dwell, when my thoughts can think about or meditate on your thoughts, that's the one thing that helps me when I took on Goliath years ago, or right now it's when he's facing these incredible armies that are surrounding him. God, I am terrified by my circumstances, but my mind and thoughts are dwelling in you. And when I dwell in you, God, you hide me from all the anxiety. Look what he says. For in the time of trouble, he's not denying the trouble, he, God, shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. So again, when we dwell in him, he shall hide, he shall hide. What does it mean for him to hide us? Well, he shall set me high upon a rock. What does it look like for God to hide you by setting you on a rock? Well, when I was in Israel several years ago, we walked through a dry riverbed called a wadi. As you're walking through that wadi, there are these little, not really caves, but little clefts in the rock that you can hide in. When you hide in that cleft, the 120, 130 degree weather, it's shadier in there. So the circumstances are still bad, but you're hidden in or protected in the middle of it. That's the idea he's getting at here. So let's talk some science for a moment. When you're under stress or worry, where does your mind go to hide? Where does your brain go to find safety, to put yourself in the right state of mind? Now here's what we know. Right, scientists, your doctor, if you are a doctor or nurse, you've said this, you've told people stress is bad for you. Right? Because you know when stress goes up, sickness goes up. And cardiovascular issues go up. However, I saw a psychiatrist lecturing recently and she described a phenomena of a recent study that has totally changed her perspective on stress. What do I mean? They asked 180,000 people over eight years in the study two questions. One, how much stress are you under? Two, do you believe stress is good or bad for you? And fast forward eight years, and eight years later, they searched the public death records and found that if you believe stress was bad for you, you were 43% more likely to be sick or even to die. More fascinating was if you had a little stress, but believed stress was bad for you, you were in that 43%. But if you had a large amount of stress, but believed stress could be good for you, you didn't apply to that 43% at all. Now what does that mean? It means that stress is not bad for you. The belief that stress is bad for you is actually bad for you. Here's what the study said. If you look at it, again, 43% 
death rate for those who believed higher between those who believed stress was bad for them and those who didn't. So 182,000 people over eight years, 20,000 people were dying per year, not from stress, but from the belief that stress was bad for them. That made it the 15th largest killer in the United States over HIV and even skin cancer. What does that mean? It means that when you and I as parents, as doctors, as pastors, as psychologists tell people stress is bad for them, that's kind of true, but we're actually contributing to the problem rather than the solution. And what the Bible's offering here is to anchor your thoughts in the idea that stress can be good for me if I anchor into God. He can use this to transform me, to strengthen me, to grow me. He's got a plan to use even this bad stuff to form me. So how do we put our thoughts and our mind in that space where we can dwell or hide in God? I think it was last year, right around Easter time, I was under incredible stress. Work-related stress, family-related stress. My wife was having her second back surgery and I was trying to take care of her. Child-related stress. And I just found myself ultimately going to counseling for hypervigilance to deal with all of the constant uncertainty and pressures. One of the practices I began that was very, very helpful during the stressful time was taking my jet ski out to East Fork Lake three times a week. I would drive out to the middle of the lake, quiet myself, turn the engine off and just watch the water and look over the trees. I would pray, I would sing, I'd watch beautiful sunset, no one out there on the water from seven to nine, Monday through Thursday. And one day I saw this, this bird fly by. As I watched, I, rem- I remember what Jesus said. He said, do not worry about tomorrow for today has enough troubles of its own For the God who watches over the birds and knows when each one falls cares about you. And by thinking, dwelling in God's thoughts, dwelling in God's promises, I could feel my my body calm, my mind calm. I noticed this bird landed in a tree and I looked up and I said, I think that's a bald eagle at East Fork Lake. And I got a little closer, turned the engine on, and sure enough, a bald eagle. And just the beauty of this thing, the beauty of nature, I just, my whole body became settled as I dwelled and hid myself in God's thoughts. And I saw that eagle up in this tree. It reminded me of a story I heard about a lumberjack. A lumberjack was about to tear down this forest. So he took his axe on one end and, you know, the hammer side on the other end. He came up to this tree that the bird was perched in. He went, bam, bam, bam. And the bird's like, hey, what are you doing? And so the bird stops building a nest, <clears throat> flies over to another tree. The lumberjack again, bam, bam, bam. Hey, what are you doing? And the bird just kept moving from tree to tree to tree. Must have thought, this mean old lumberjack. But the lumberjack cared so much about the bird, he didn't want him to build a nest, a place of security on something that was going to come down. So eventually the bird flies and builds a nest up on a mountaintop in the rocks. Someplace secure. 
Now that's the same idea God's getting at here. He sets you up on the rock. God may rattle some things in your life if you're building your sense of security in them. And you might think, why is God doing this? Is God mad at me? No, 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 no. God loves you and he's trying to get you to dwell or find a mental space or place where you're building your thoughts on something secure. You're dwelling in him and he's hiding you by setting you on the rock that he is with you and you're gonna get through this. Not because of of your uh, ability to control circumstances, but because you trust the bridge over those troubled waters. So number one, know where to hide. Number two, know what to repeat. Knowing what to repeat. Notice what David does here. Not only does he hide his thoughts in God's thoughts, but he knows what to repeat or meditate or ruminate on in his head. Therefore, since I, dwelling in God, since I'm hiding my thoughts in him, therefore because of that, I will offer sacrifices of joy. I'm thinking about joyful thoughts in his tabernacle, in his space. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Now this guy's surrounded by an army. But what he's repeating in his head is not, things are terrible, things are bad, things are overwhelming. Those are all true. But what he's choosing to repeat in his head is thank goodness God is with me. Thank goodness I'm not alone. Thank goodness I can count on God to put me on that rock of security during this challenging time. So again, Therefore, he's focused on joy and praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. So look, he is crying. He is calling out for God's help. Have mercy on me and answer me. But somehow while he's crying out for answers, he's also able to focus on joy, to meditate on God, you're going to work through this. Let's look at the science again. So Harvard did a social stress test several years ago to build on that science I talked about earlier. And here's what they they did. They began to train groups on how to deal with stress. And what they did is for people who would feel like their heart pounding, and say, oh my goodness, I'm getting stressed. I know this is bad for me. They took one group and said, when your heart is pounding like that, it's a good thing. That means your body is preparing to do something significant. So every time they felt their heart pounding, they would say to themselves, this is good. This is good. My body's preparing to take on a challenge and this is a good thing my body does to prepare for it. Second thing. So when they found themselves breathing deeply, maybe out of stress, they would teach them, this is a good thing. This is your body's way of getting more oxygen to your brain, more oxygen to your extremities. And here's what they found. Those who began to process stress by thinking of your heartbeat and thinking about your breathing as a good thing didn't have the negative impact of stress that other people did. In fact, why is cardiovascular so much higher for those people under stress? It's because of the constricting of the blood vessels. But here's what they found. This Harvard study found that those who said while under stress, this is a good thing, this is strengthening me, This is making me stronger. This is my body preparing for a challenge. They found that their heart was beating fast and breathing heavily, 
but that their different blood vessels didn't constrict the way it did under stress of those who thought stress was bad. In fact, this idea of your heart pounding and breathing heavier, but still keeping your blood vessels you know, not constricted, was the same experience you and I have when we're experiencing joy or moments of courage. There was a way that two different people could face the exact same circumstance and react psychologically and biologically different based on how they process stress. David stumbled upon this. He knows what to repeat. God, I'm crying out to you. God, I'm in trouble. There's armies around me, but I'm gonna sing joy. You're on my side. I'm gonna sing praises that I know you're gonna come through during this time. Not only is it gonna make you healthier, but that stress can, can turn to something good that can build you and strengthen you during challenging times. Now there's many of us who are going through incredible stress. In fact, part of our desire to kind of touch one-on-one with as many people as possible during this last couple months has been personal emails, personal phone calls, whenever you guys call into the office, say, hey, could somebody check on me or pray for me or encourage me? Well, about a month ago, I got a phone call from Sierra Strong, our children's pastor, and she was checking on my friend Stacy and Justin. Now, I had performed the wedding for Stacy and Justin you know, several years ago, and so I knew them pretty well. And I knew about three to six months ago, I'd walked out after a service, and they wanted to talk to me. Chad, can, can we talk to you for a moment? As I began to talk to Justin, I realized he seemed choked up and couldn't talk. It turns out he wasn't choked up. Stacy informed me that he was on the early stages of ALS and he wasn't able to talk. And all of a sudden they were wrestling with incredible uncertainty. I said, could you pray for us? So I prayed from that day right out in our atrium, putting courage in them and hope in them that God is with them. Well, Sierra circled back to me again a few weeks ago and said, could you give them a call? They were out in L.A., and because of the the COVID-19 crisis, he was getting some experimental injections done, but she couldn't be with him. And so I got a chance to listen, to be with her in her pain, to pray with her, and to ask, what is God doing in the middle of this challenging time? One of the things she mentioned is that Justin has been coming to Horizon for many, many years. He sits right over here. And he hasn't necessarily... um, had the experience to jump into a Bible study or hasn't been invited to maybe the right person. But she said, it's been amazing that during this time, I've gotten phone calls from Sierra and now from you and and Justin got a phone call from a friend who asked if he wanted to join a Bible study. And I called him up one day and he was kind of flat on his either stomach or back because of the injections. And I said, what have you been up to today? He said, "I'm, I'm reading through the book of Mark. And he found himself in these circumstances reaching out to some promises to repeat, some, some God to dwell in or to hide in during those circumstances. In fact, about a week ago, I texted her again, just said, hey, I want you to know I, I'm praying for you today. I'm praying for you and Justin today that God will work in your circumstance. He will strengthen you and he will be near you. And I got the most moving short little text from Stacy. We are so humbled 
that you would be talking to God about us. It's so powerful when you can walk with people during challenging times and teach them there is a bridge, there is a God who's with you, he can sympathize with you, he's been through challenges. Repeat to yourself during this time, God is with me, God has a plan, God is my strength, God is my stronghold. God wants to do the same thing for you. We've all got complaints we can repeat and they're legitimate complaints and they're frustrating things and they're things that we wish could be different. We all wish could be different. But as we handle these, to anchor ourselves in truth is instead of repeating complaints, also repeat courage. God is with me. God use these circumstances to set me up to become the person you want me to be. So number one, nowhere to hide. Number two, know what to repeat. And number three, know who to seek. What do I mean by that? Well, who are you seeking? You see, all of us are seeking for a solution, right? There's gotta be some magical solution to this incredibly challenging circumstance we're in. But what if what we need right now is not a, a what, but a who? What if knowing God was with you was more powerful and more real than a, a solution to your specific problem? That's what David's getting at here. He says, when you said, God, you told me what you want to do in this circumstance is you want me to seek your face. You said, seek my face. My heart said, all right, your face, Lord, I will seek. So do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. For you have been my help. I need help. How do you get help? You seek God's face. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. For when my mother and my father forsook me, then the Lord will take care of me. So again, he's not denying his circumstances. He's got a bad relationship with his parents apparently. He's got challenges going on. But he says, God, if you're saying the number one thing I need to do is seek your face, that's what I'm gonna do during this time. And he goes on. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you. See how that's prayer. You know, prayer is simply talking to God. God, you told me to seek your face. I am. Here's things I need help with. Here's joy that you're with me. Here's the meditations that you're gonna do something through this. It's what it looks like to seek God's face. It literally just means to pray to him, to talk to him about where you're at. So look, it says, my heart said to you, that's prayer, your face, Lord, I will seek. So do not hide your face from me. Do not turn from your servant away in anger. There was a a famous man named Martin Luther who wrote an old hymn, maybe you heard in church growing up, called A A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Now, if you don't know a lot about Martin Luther, he was a Catholic priest who began to study the Bible and he discovered the God of the Bible wasn't about working your way to heaven, It was about receiving a gift of grace from Jesus. And so he began to teach that, make the Bible available to people all over the world. And as he began to distribute the Bible, there were massive, massive revolt against him. In fact, the word Protestant comes from the word protest. 
They were protesting uh, an interpretation of the Bible that had gotten corrupt during its time. So there was a lot of pressure on Martin Luther and one of his friends named Philip. And they felt the pressure all the time as they were starting what's known as the Protestant Reformation. And it was during that time that, that Martin Luther wrote a hymn, A Mighty Fortress Is Our God. In fact, those words ended up on his tombstone. Martin Luther died with the confidence that he was seeking God's face, the bridge over his troubled waters during a very challenging time in history was that God was his mighty fortress and stronghold, even under times of protest. Now, his friend Philip, who was probably more of a scholar than he was, was a worrier, very, very anxious. Is this gonna work? Are we gonna get, you know, killed because of this what's going to happen and just always worried about the circumstances and one day Martin Luther pulled his friend Philip aside and said Philip Philip let Philip cease to rule the world let Philip cease to rule the world Isn't that good? When we dwell in God, when we repeat his promises, when we seek his face, we allow him to be the ruler of the universe and we take a different place. So the secret he ends here on is in order to incorporate these three things, especially during a time of waiting, we need to learn how to wait in belief. Waiting in belief, Psalms ends with a really interesting concept. This little journal entry, David kind of telling us his secrets. He says at the end of the chapter, I would have lost heart. I, I would have given up. I would have been overcome with worry and anxiety. All right, well, how'd you not do it? I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So not just, hey, I'm gonna get to heaven one day. I need to believe that the goodness of God would be with me right here in the land of the living. I had to believe some things while I was going through trouble. I had to trust in that bridge I had. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So twice he says, wait on the Lord. Wait, I say, on the Lord. But the secret is to believe and to be of good courage that he may strengthen your heart during that time. I don't know about you, but I I want that. I want to have a healthier heart. I want to be able to allow stress and uncertainty to make me better, not bitter. I want to be able to know there's someone I can trust to navigate me through the challenges in life. In fact, one of the things we're doing during this Anchored series to help you, to help me, is we're putting out this pathway called Honest to God. And every week we're going to release two or three brand new videos They're a little three to five minutes long. If you sign up for our newsletter, they'll be sent directly to your house. 
you might say, I don't have a lot of time. Totally understand. You can actually just watch that video that's going to come to you two or three times a week as a way to wait in belief and learn how to repeat some promises just like David did. Now, if you want to go a little bit deeper, you can actually download this on PDF from our website. Or if you'd like a a hard copy because you want to write some notes and some journal entries as you're thinking about your own fears or anxieties or what does it mean to connect with God, this book will take you through different psalms, not just the ones we're doing, but different ones, and help you learn who to seek, where to hide, and what to repeat. Now you can do it on your own, kind of a solo journey, get the PDF, listen to the, uh, to the videos, or you can do it as a group. You can contact us at the church office and say, I want to get into a Zoom group. I'd like to you know, be connected to Tammy or be connected to John or Drew or myself. I'd like to get into a Bible study where someone could kind of help me navigate what it looks like to get into that dwelling place so I can have that hope and that courage during this challenging time. That's what I want for you. In fact, several years ago, I heard the story of a, a colleague in ministry, a friend of mine uh, named Andy. He and his wife went on a kind of a luxury sail trip. And so it was just the two of them and a captain sailing uh, around the ocean for, for about a week together. And one day, the captain pulled them into this really small cove, and they were swimming just outside the boat, just having a great time. There was no clouds in the sky, and they were just enjoying a beautiful sunny day. However, they noticed the captain was busier than normal, doing things they hadn't seen him do before. Like what? Well, while they were swimming and the boat was floating, the captain was grabbing a a cable and a rope and he was making its way over to the far side of the cove and tying it down to this massive tree. Then he made his way back. He took another cable from another side of the boat, ran it to the other side of the cove. Then another and another, and another. Now they were already anchored. Why was he tethering to different secure locations? So finally they asked him, hey, what's going on? He said, well, I've been listening to the weather report and there's a massive storm coming. And that's fine. I have weathered many, many storms like this. Don't you worry about it. But the secret to weathering a storm is we gotta be anchored to something secure. And sure enough, that night, a, a, a storm came through that devastated so many ships in the docks in the harbor. And their boat, oh, it rocked back and forth, but it was securely tied to anchor to all these secure points. The next day, hundreds, thousands, even millions of dollars of damage within a mile of them. And they were secure right in that little harbor because they had a captain who knew how to secure them. God wants to be your captain. He wants to secure you so you can be of great courage, so you don't lose hope. So you wait, but you wait in belief. Don't you want a captain like that? This next song is probably one you recognize, but it's the idea of trusting a captain, the captain of your soul, the captain of your life, to anchor you when you go through challenging times. Let me pray for you because you might be feeling like, oh my goodness, I need that bridge and I need that captain. So just right now, just take a moment. It might seem a little weird, but if it's helpful, you can close your eyes. Let me pray for you. Father, I ask for each person listening right now that they would not lose hope, that they would be of great courage because you are with them. 
and you would show them how they can wait in belief in the goodness of God during this time and trust you to bring them home. In Jesus' name, amen.